0: Hey, let's go. Welcome, friends. This is Patrick Steinberg, founder and president of Global Football and your host for the podcast entitled Let's Go. Today, I've got a, a man that many of you may know his stories and his life, and, uh, but I'm sure there's some things we don't know that we're going to dig into today. Welcome to uh, Rocky
1: Blyer. Rock, where do I find you today? Hey, hey Patrick. Thanks. Uh, it's nice to hear your voice. You find me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, locked into my house in my office, now very quickly talking to you, so thank you for the call um, <laughs> get me out of my rut that I'm in, so this is good
0: hey it's It's a pleasure, rock, especially being a western p a boy myself you know uh grew up in in Erie uh, it's always fun to talk to somebody from that part of the country hey um you know we're going to talk for about a half hour here and get into a couple of different subjects but you know your life has been so full of experiences so full of stories so full of lessons i want to just touch on kind of a few highlights if that's all right with a focus on i think team as i read about everything you've done it seems to center around teams so if you don't mind let's uh, let me ask a few a few items there when you were growing up as a young guy in Wisconsin. Can you think back to a team, a mentor, somebody there who really had an influence in
1: in developing that part of your life? (laughs) Yes, I can, you know, but the the great thing about teams, you know, which is that it's really a learning process, as we all have learned, you as well, and um, um, through a period of time, whether it be organized teams and or pickup teams, because I think it's something that today's skill set has been lost to some degree when you're trying to pick up a game in the neighborhood and who's playing on who, and you got odd number of people. And so now you got to make your own rules. You got to select who's going to be on what team or the other team. Sometimes it's not always fair, but you work out who's going to be up first, what teams, what side. uh, And I think part of that process is, obviously lost um i always think about teams in the context of 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 working together uh you get each other's back you get your own assignment uh but how it how it flows with other people on the team whether it be basketball or whether it be uh football or soccer or or um uh whatever whatever sport you might be playing so along those those lines you you learn you learn and and then you, you hopefully have a good fortune uh to have maybe one catalyst or one mentor uh or one coach that makes uh all the difference uh in the world to you and that happened to be during that period of time my high school coach a guy by the name of Torchy Clark who was a uh, a a consistent winner Now, we have to go back in time uh, to the baby boomer era, uh, latter part of the 50s. Torchy was a grade school basketball coach, and his grade school, which was a rival grade school to the one I attended, had always won the grade school conference. Um, and primarily because of him and his teaching skills. But uh, secondly, as now we expand, new schools are being built, new high schools back in 58, 59, and 60, and Torchy then becomes the head coach at the new Catholic high school in Appleton, Wisconsin. And so he then becomes my coach, um, and um Along those lines, it's the impact that he had, how he approached the game. They didn't nickname him Torchy for nothing. Uh, I was wondering. That's right. I mean, (laughs) he had a quick temper. Uh, He demanded excellence. He was a slightly built basketball player himself. He played at Marquette. um, And and, and his whole process and his whole philosophy was – You know, full court press, half court press, zone press, um, uh, fast breaks off to the side, up the middle. It was a fast-paced game, no set plays, um, and uh, and he demanded you to be in that position uh, and and know how to run the floor when you're when you're there. He was our football coach as well. So I had both sports, uh, basketball and uh, football with him. And he was the kind of guy that, you know, um, knew when to pat you on the back, also knew when to kick you in the rear end or yell and scream and. Um, and so it always, uh, you know, it always made a difference. <laughs> it was an interesting thing. he would be sitting in the, uh, in the bleachers coaching, you know, and, you know, so he was the pride and joy of the brand new high school, you know, and we were winning, you know, we were winning some games and all the excitement, but he had a temper, uh, when things weren't going well and, um, he would kick the bench, he would kick the bench, he kicked the bench to make a point. And sometimes yeah. his verbiage wasn't very Catholic-like, you know, especially in the I, Catholic school. And so, and so the good nuns uh, uh, who had come to watch the game and support their Catholic school, who taught uh, on the other side of the school, the, the girls who, would, we, it was a Christian brothers uh, and, uh, and, and I forgot the denomination for the, for the, for the nuns, but anyway, so they would sit around torchy talking <laughs> and, as the season and then as the years went by they sat further and further and further away from him <laughs> so <anyway. laughs> so he was a, so he so at that period of time he, he so he was a big influence just from a confidence point of view um in and in and, and, and helping build that confidence um in in what you can do, can't do, his expectations uh and kind of the ball player that you were to um that you were to become. And so uh and he got the most out of uh, all the players, you know so it was, and I'm going to tell you this, not to brag, but, but I think it, it, it gives a period of time. In that period of time, so and I'm saying from my sophomore year to high school through my senior yeah. year in high school in the Fox Valley Catholic Conference and then in the state of Wisconsin, um, we had lost four games in both basketball, I mean, total. In basketball and in football, we never lost a football game, and we lost four games. And the last game that we lost was the state championship, uh, my senior year. But because of that, okay, so people got recognized. Yeah. And I just say that people got yeah. recognized. He had a, you know, it was a name team. You know, because you're winning, more people will get recognized from that from that team. Sure. I have to say, there is only four guys that went on to play college anything wow. and uh so it, it, for me it was like a true test of getting the most out of the people at that time given what you have and not necessarily talent but but having them reach their potential you know through that um, through that period of time of their life not that they would ever go on and play, but, uh, but you would think given the success that you would have great talent all over. But, uh, as I said, you know, only for, so he was the first big influence from a, from a, from a coaching perspective and from a leadership perspective.
0: Wow. That's, I never heard that story of, of yours. That's a, that's a good one. And, Obviously, that was built around a team effort. If you've only got four guys ever going to college and you have that much success, that is a a total team effort. Right. Let's jump ahead. Yeah. Uh, 19, 1966, uh, Notre Dame's national championship year, of which you're a key figure. And we all, you know, anybody who's read that history and, and was around then the first game of the century, the 10-10 tie at Michigan State, but I want to dive into the next week, okay? Because I want to believe that I don't know. I want to believe there was a little bit of a sense of boy, did we, did we not achieve it? You know, we're we were undefeated going in. We end up coming out of there with a ten ten tie. We got one game left at USC, who's been our nemesis, right, right? Forever, forever. And you got to travel to the coast. You got beat up by Bubba Bubba Smith, you know, and Webster and. A Pisa and all those tough guys from Michigan. What was the how did Era, how did the team react to going out to Southern Cal for the final game, knowing your only chance to to get that national championship is to win out there on the coast?
1: You know, I would like to tell you the secrets or the inside story of that week of preparation because it was a big yeah. week. I mean, it was a big week coming off that tie, the 1010 tie. Michigan State obviously was finished with their season we had the one game left against southern cal unfortunately i had a um, ruptured kidney in the game in michigan state and so i spent that week in the hospital back in south bend and i missed i I missed the preparation i don't know what took place or what era said uh, the only thing is, that I got to watch the game uh, on Saturday from my hospital room and uh, uh, and see them and see them win. So I would like to give you inside information. I have no inside information on that game specifically, but as you were saying. I think, and I'm not saying I think, I know this because I've been around that that organization during that period of time from, you know, my sophomore year or my or my freshman year, that junior year was so big, and then ultimately me my senior year, is that era in his preparation, no matter what, no matter what the game was, you know, started off, um, you know, each week, I mean, each day of that week, approaching the game, you know, was... So usually you played the game on, on, on Saturday, as you well know, Sunday, you review Mm -hmm. the game, the previous game, you know, Monday, um, you know, you kind of have a walkthrough practice of some nature. And then we have a little scrimmage, but not too much at the end of the, at the season, but, but then he starts preparing you for the following week's game. And this one was Southern Cal. It was easy to get up for, but he would start with some little some little tidbit, some little bit of information that you might not know, uh, just to, to, to not take it for granted, to not take this game for granted, um, that this is how strong... Southern Cal is this is how many times they beat Michigan State, let's just say, or this is where they are ranked and this is what they've done. And so by the time Thursday and Friday, before we leave to go out to the game, is that you go, holy man, you know, we'll never be able to beat these guys, you know, in, in right, this guy. Right. So we don't take anything for granted or we don't take. Uh, um, and so era was a, a master at being able to, to do that, at least for my opinion, and and how I viewed him over the years that uh, that uh, he was our head coach um, of just being able to set the right tone, getting prepared for that game, not blowing the game out of proportion, but putting it into perspective, um, and um, so that uh, so that you know you're ready to play at your top level.
0: Yeah, I'd say whenever people ask me about Era, and you went to a much higher level to play in the NFL, but when they ask me what was Era's secret. <laughs> I think it was his preparation. Uh, I just think he had them scouted so well and he had our team, our individual, just like you said, we could be playing, you know, the little sisters of the poor on Saturday. And by, by Thursday
1: afternoon, you were convinced we were going to lose by (laughs) fifth. That's right. You're (laughs) right. You're right. I tell the same story. You're right. That's the way he did it. Um, I thought one of the other great strengths that era had in his leadership was his assistant coaches um, somehow they fit in or bought into the system of what era was, and Tom Pagna specifically, who was their backfield coach. Um, Tom was there when, when you were at Notre Dame. Am I correct? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, yep. fine. And so and so <laughs> and so the week of the game. Um, and when will we get it? We get the the letter from the phantom. Oh yeah. In the phantom so yes. it was a, it was a letter that we'd get preparing us for the following week's game you know that we weren't anybody's that we weren't anything we took our you know ourselves so, so seriously you know blah 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 you're not as good as you think you are and so on helping <laughs> helping to set up you know the maybe the offshoot of, of, of what era's preparation was um, and and in God I didn't know where that letter came from until years later that that, that he wrote that letter. Right um and anyway, but but I, I thought that all of his support mechanism uh, buying into you know uh, how practice was run, his philosophy, how he gets things done, um, and, and, and and having his assistant coaches just be like you know their own individuals, but you know buying into that whole system. Yeah,
0: Eric created his team of assistants, uh, you know, looking back was outstanding just as, as he created us of a team of players to where even the special teams members had their uniqueness, right? The, the special team guys, the prep team, they believed they were as integral to winning as anybody else.
1: Oh, you know, did <laughs> they, very much so. And they were as much a part of that success. Um, uh, as and error and made sure and the assistant coaches made sure that they were as much part of that success you know um, and, and, and for the listeners out there and we're talking about walk-on guys we're talking about guys who you know who played maybe in high school but didn't get a scholarship but kind of wanted to be a part of and you know and walked on and um, and uh, or other guys that you know did get a scholarship. Um, but didn't reach the next plateau. I mean, they're there, part of the preparation, part of of of, of getting the team ready. And um, and and Aaron did a, you know, it's a unique leadership job to be able to do that and have those kinds of of of, of or have those people committed to their job of holding the bag, you know, of being on the second team or the third team or the scrub team or the practice team that. We're we're gonna uh, scrimmage against um, and and still be a part of that and still be a part of it years later after graduation after you know because that yep. becomes their tie to the university and to their experience of of, of, of their careers um, and uh, and being a part of uh, championship teams um, and successful seasons so you know that's part of a. You know, part of the uh, criteria of a of a, of a great leader uh, to be able to to do that and uh, and and so on. I'll tell you another story, just be, uh, from era and from my experience. Sure, and this is from a leadership point of view, and this was uh, my going into my senior year. Uh, and I was going to summer school at the university that, uh, that summer, uh, and, uh, and Era had made mention. He said, you know, one of the things you need to do is to write a letter, um, to all the incoming, uh, returning players you know welcoming welcoming them back you know to the camp this is the expectation we have of this year blah 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 kind of stuff he said i, I uh when you write that um and, uh, meet with me and i i'd just like to i'd just like to see it before we send it out then i said okay fine yeah. So i wrote so eventually I, I wrote the letter in time when it was supposed to go out and um, and I was walking by the uh, football offices, and I thought, oh, I'll just stop in. It was like noon, lunchtime, and so I stopped in, and uh, Arrow was standing in the vestibule outside his office with Tom Pagna and a couple other coaches, and they are just kind of BSing, you know, with one another, uh, telling stories or whatever it is, and I walk in, and Coach Parsegian says, oh, hey, Rock, how you doing, and in his manner, And in his manner, he would grab and shake your hand uh, with one hand. It was right hand. You'd shake your hand. And then with his left hand, he would feel you up. You know, he'd he'd be feeling your arms, your shoulders, your back. (laughs) It's like, have you been working out? How do you feel? (laughs) Kind of this. And so he said, uh, how can I help you? And I said, well, coach, I I said, I I, I wrote the letter. um, And I I just thought if you had a minute here, I'd like you to, to see it. Um, And he said, uh, okay, um, well, make an appointment uh, with my secretary. And I go, oh, okay. So I turn, I just turn. Yeah. And I said to a secretary, when can I see coach? And she goes, how (laughs) about tomorrow at the same time? I said, okay, fine. You know, and I learned a lesson there. And the lesson that I learned is that You know, could he have taken five minutes? Yes. Could he have gone through the letter, you know, without me having to come back? Yes. But I didn't set up a meeting. You know, it wasn't protocol. You just don't come in and stop in and take people's time. Although he was there not doing anything, you know, chatting. And so um, uh, that's how he kind of run his program. Um, And so it was a lesson I learned and learned. Well, now telling you this after all these years. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's I, I can I can imagine just that scene. Uh, and when you said you shake his hand, he always did that. And he worked with the quarterbacks quite a bit, you know, as did Coach Pagna. But yeah, he'd shake his hand, and you better have your right shoulder better be tight <laughs> because he's going to be grabbing it with his left hand. That's right. <laughs> you took me right back to those handshakes I would get from him. <laughs> That's crazy, Doc. <huh? laughs> That that is that is wild. Hey, let me talk a little bit about another leader and another great team. You know, you were part of four Super Bowl championship teams with the Steelers. You know, just an iconic age there. But their true leader was Dan Rooney, the the owner, and uh, who I was very blessed that you introduced me to him back around 2012. Before uh, going to Ireland for that event, where I got him to do the the coin toss for our high school game, thanks to your intro. But tell me a little bit about the Steeler teams and the leadership of Dan Rooney within that, who obviously worked through the coaching staff. But I believe Mr. Rooney was was very involved. (laughs) You know,
1: so that so, you know, if you look over the period of time since 1933, when uh, Mr. Rooney bought a franchise in the fledgling National Football League um, and was kind of the owner, what people should understand is that for the first 40 years of that existence, the Steelers were the most losingest team in the league. And, oh. um and obviously it changed later on, but you know, so, so, so Mr. Rooney who was a wonderful, wonderful guy, promoter, um, He was a uh, horse player. Um, uh, It was a gambler, um, kind of a kind of a we did more horses than gambling or so. But it it was a great north side guy from Pittsburgh. And that's where he grew up. Um, And uh, and it, it was a promoter. He promoted boxing fights. Um, around. And so now he's got this Steeler football team, uh, and his brother runs a Sandlot football team. So when he bought the franchise, he tapped the brother on the shoulder and said, Okay, we're just going to take your team and move it into the NFL <laughs> since it's already organized. <laughs> and he did that. <laughs> His downfall was that he trusted everybody, and uh, um, and uh, and he would hire and he would hire good he would hire friends to to run the organization. So his coaching yeah. changes or his coaching decisions weren't necessarily the best um, uh, over the years, and uh, and it, it, the results uh, or his record would he showed the results of that, um, and then. Dan Rooney uh who was his eldest son was working in the organization uh and uh, when I came in the, in the group in 1968 Dan was kind of like a vice president um and the and Mr. Rooney was still uh you know running the organization and in 1970 um well in any way I should say that in 69 69 Dan stepped up and said, you know, we need to, we need to take a, another look um, from a leadership role. We need to take another look, you know, at uh, how we approach um, our coaching staff. And so he took over that process uh, and went through a process and then found a guy by the name of Chuck Knoll, who was an assistant coach uh, with the Baltimore uh, Colts at the time. He had been out in um, San Diego in the American Football League uh for a while and um and so anyway um hired him and and then hired him Uh, went through the process and so chuck became our coach and the interesting thing about chuck in comparison if i may make it to uh, that of araparsegian in both cases um both of them had an extreme amount of confidence in their own ability in in their knowledge of the game of football and how it should be, and how it should be run, uh, and, uh, and, and how we will run it. Um, Coach, so, uh, so Coach Knoll, you know, came in, um, and he, and, and he viewed himself, and he was, he was, he was more of a, of a, a philosopher, he was more of a teacher um, uh, than maybe a you know a a, 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 a coach. He ne- needed to understand reasons why things work, how things work, um, and he would read, read and read and read about history and about leaders, um, and not necessarily about football. One thing that he did not really dwell on is. You know, is football. I mean, outside of football, it wasn't his life, and so his philosophy. You know, over a period of time changed. Um, and I can remember, <laughs> I can remember Andy Russell. Now I'm, I'm going to take you back, and some of your listeners, Andy Russell, was a captain of our football team uh, back when I was a when, when I was a rookie in 1968. Um, Andy um, was an All Pro linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. With a two and uh, twelve record, you know uh and in from he was he had been uh, a all pro like three or four or five times or four times on losing teams, so he was a substantial player, and so Chuck Noll comes in sure. and he sits and he sits Andy down. And Andy thought, you know, Chuck was going to pat him on the back for being all pro selection. And, you know, you're the only talent that we have on this team, et cetera, et cetera, from Andy's point of view. And Chuck looks at him and he said, "Uh, I'm going to make you a better uh, I'm going to make you a better linebacker than you are. Now, doesn't mean that you're going to make all pro, Mm -hmm. but you're going to be a better linebacker. Um, uh, You have terrible technique. Uh, and you take too many chances. <laughs> you take too many big plays. It's not your responsibility. You will do as I tell you, as lined up. It'll make you a more effective player and a better player for this team. But as I say, you may not make the big splash and or the uh, make all pro. But I just wanted to tell you, the, you know, that's how things are going to be, and that's the way Chuck was. I mean, it's your position. You know, and he coached everybody along those same lines uh, about responsibility, what you do. You cannot cover for somebody else. You have your own responsibility. If you feel there's a weakness and you're trying to cover for the weakness, now we got two weaknesses on the team: on uh, the position you just vacated and and right. and the person you're trying to help. So so all of a sudden the mindset started to change and the expectations started to change, uh, and his focus on the team started to change. Um, and uh, and he wasn't afraid to take criticism along the way because he did that first year. He only won one game, the first game of the season, and then lost the next 13. Um, but we yep. started to, we started to draft well, um, uh, and prepared and get the right players in a leadership role that eventually became the core and, 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 and of, of, of those 70 Steelers, uh, and to win those Super Bowls. So Chuck had, so Chuck had this, I can remember talking to Terry Hanratty, now Terry Hanratty for your listeners, uh, who was a Notre Dame player my my quarterback uh when i when i was there and then got drafted uh, by the pittsburgh steelers in uh 1969 in the second round and so he had been there when chuck came and chuck had picked him and then through the years with brad shaw and in the in the winning years and then uh so so i said how would you describe chuck you know and so he thought and he thought and he thought and he said listen okay um, it was a, now Chuck was not a yeller or a screamer. He was a pretty quiet guy. I mean, didn't say a whole lot, but he just made you feel uncomfortable. And that's how he wanted his players <laughs> yeah. to be just uncomfortable, you know, with him. And, uh, and not that Chuck, he just, he, he didn't, he wasn't a player's coach, you know? Um, I mean, he loved his players. Uh, he, he understood his players, um, but he was just, it was just reserve, in, you know, in that case, because he had to make decisions ultimately for the betterment of this team, and sometimes that becomes difficult when you have an emotional tie, you know, to uh, to players specifically. So, um, you know, so yeah, so so Dan Rooney had a big leadership. You know, Roland, you know, and part of that, if I may also say you know, came from from, you know, from Dan in my case specifically. And so when I came back from the service in 1970, uh, I, I wrote a letter to, to to Mr. Rooney, you know, asking whether I could come back, try out for the team. And he said he'd, he'd have to talk to Dan and they extended an invitation for me to come back. Uh, in 1970, there was a player strike at that time. Oh, and I was really concerned. I, you know, I, I, I didn't want to cross the picket line. I didn't want to cross go in. I wanted to be a part of a veteran team, but I also know my position. So I eventually asked Andy Russell if, if he wouldn't mind, he was captain of the team if I would cross the picket line and, you know, go into training camp. And he said, yeah, go ahead and do it. So I went into training camp and went all the way through training camp and it took its toll. And I have to tell you this and, you know, beat me up training camp and, you know, and I thought I was in pretty good shape coming back and just two a days and, you know, hard turf and uh, um uh, and being up at Latrobe, you mm-hmm. know, just. Oh, you know, I was limping through practice at times, and so on and so on. Eventually, the story is that I, uh, I get cut. You know, last cut, they, 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 they put me on injured reserve. Um, you know, no, they, they, they cut, they cut me, and I, <laughs> and I can, you know. So the the worst thing you want to ever hear in the, in the locker room is um, uh, the coach would like to see you. Oh, and and bring your playbook. <laughs> Not a good <laughs> you know, idea. It's like a kiss of death. Anyway, yeah. So Chuck, uh, um, you know, Chuck said, "I just, I, we released you. Go home. Do what's necessary. Uh, come back, and uh, we have an invitation. Come back next year." And I was heartbroken, um, and I, I, and and so <sighs> on my way home. My emotions got the best of me. And it was like, oh, what am I going to do now? What you know? And I started to cry. And, and the next morning, Dan Rooney called me. And he said, listen, he said, I apologize. He said, I wasn't there yesterday. I uh, said, but don't worry. I, I talked to Chuck. Noll. we're not going to take a, any spot up on his team. But we decided to put you on injured reserve, uh, have our doctors take a look at you. And uh, maybe there's something they can do. I had shrapnel working its way out of my foot at the time and said, maybe there's something they can do to, um, to help you. And maybe you can come back and towards the end of the season and and help this team. So it was Dan Rooney that gave me another chance, kind of a a, a breath of, of, of life. Um, and so I did and I kind of hung around, um, that year and the following year, they put me on uh, the taxi squad, which was one step up, but they bought me two years to hang around to get better and and to heal and uh, um, and so uh, they gave me a chance and uh, by 1972. Um, I made the team on special teams and um, and continued to play and the rest becomes history thereafter but but Dan Rooney was uh it was was terrific in in that regard and so it was a whole organization you know that you know that football operations in 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 what I tell people is that the owners took care of owner business we had no general manager in in, in name at that time, and Chuck noll and Chuck took care of football business so he was the guy that made the cuts and the decision ultimately he was the one you talked to about football questions he didn't go to a general manager talking about his organization you know owners did owner business and so um and everybody knew where they stood and i think that becomes very important in any organizational structure is knowing where you stand within that organization um and what your responsibilities are and what you need to do to you know to get accomplished or whatever it might be so i think they did a wonderful job of being able to um um, come to that kind of a model
0: wow rock that's just uh the names you've thrown out there the people who have been you know a key part of your life starting with torchy (laughs) which most people don't know but then to Era and Tom Pagna, Chuck Knoll, Dan Rooney, and now people you're influencing in your life. Let's do another episode uh, not too far away from here where we can deal more with your Vietnam era, your you know everything that went through there. ESPN did an amazing job, John Fish, with that story, The Return. And I would encourage anybody who listens to this to Go on to ESPN YouTube and look at The Return with Rocky Blair. It's, it's an amazing story of your Vietnam experience and going back to that. Also, your book, Fighting Back, uh, it's something I gave my son when he was probably in middle <laughs> school, a dog-eared paperback that he wore out. Uh, that, that book sits right on I've got two go-to books on my shelf. One is that, and the other one is Endurance, the story of Shackleton's ill-fated journey to uh, the South Pole. Uh, those are my two go-to books. And then you are, when I got, heard you do the uh, master of ceremony duties at era's 90th birthday party up at Notre Dame. And uh, I had heard you talk a couple times, but that was like, and then I saw you do your one man play. I said, this is <laughs> well, the best speaker you, in America. But... And people throw that term around, but through your leadership league, uh, you have a chance to motivate. So if anybody wants to reach out to, to rock through the leadership league, He's great at that. Hey, thank you for this time. Give me just a a final little phrase, maybe, for people who are out there and maybe feel like life uh, isn't treating them right. You know, at, at this day and age, maybe
1: they need a little motivation. Okay, to get going I, today. You know, you're right. I a, think a it all it all it stems Rob. on attitude and how we approach things, um, and, uh, and what we see and what we believe, uh, and rather than why me, why not me? And so here here it is. If you believe you can. You can. So just do it.
0: That's perfect. Rocky Blyer, appreciate it. This is the podcast. Let's go. Share it with your friends if you enjoy it. All right. And uh, Rock, we'll see you down the road.